Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29, we're going to begin reading in verse 7. Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 7. And the scripture says, And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, even all that fight against her and her uh, munition, and that distress her, shall be as a dream of a night vision. It shall even be as when an hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreameth, And behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint. And his soul hath appetite, so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you again this morning for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God, that the words of God would take root in people's hearts. Lord, if there's any here without Christ as their Savior, may they understand this morning the peril of their soul, just a heartbeat away from eternity, just a heartbeat away from burning in hell for eternity if they don't turn to Christ. I pray for believers today. May we understand some real spiritual truths that will shape our lives to be what we ought to be for your honor and glory. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do in every heart and every life, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If I was to uh, title this message this morning... I guess it would be something like this, the dreams that never come true. And there are a bunch of those. I read a saying about dreams, said the poorest man is not he that is without a scent, but it is he that is without a dream. Now that's not a Bible verse, and it basically means you need to have something to be striving for. But you know, you look around the world today, And basically, people are just going from one event to the next, and that's it. They've got no purpose in mind, no purpose for eternity. they got no dream to be fulfilled. Now, sometimes dreams can be funny. I was reading about several years ago in a motel in one of the hotel in one of the big cities. A man in the middle of the night in his hotel room started screaming out, It's in the phone book! It's in the phone book. And he kept screaming out like that. And, of course, the neighbors uh, to that room called down to the desk and the house detective and one of the ushers of the hotel came up there. They pounded on the door. They could hear him screaming, it's in the phone book. He came to the door and opened the door and they said, what on earth are you screaming for? And he said, I'm sorry. He said, man, I just had a dream that the IRS had found that they owed me a million dollars and they couldn't find my address. (laughs) So boy, was he disappointed. Dreams can be funny. But in the passage of scripture that we read today, Isaiah has pronounced judgment against Israel because of their sin against God. But he also pronounces judgment against some of the surrounding countries that had been trying to do Israel in. And he makes this point. These people dream about hurting Israel, and yet they're never going to be able to fulfill it. They cannot wipe them out because, you see, they still have a protection of God upon them from being wiped out. 
somebody was asked the question, they told a believer, they said, just give me one word that proves that uh, the Bible is true. And the guy answered, the Jews. Why haven't they been wiped out? Nations all over the world have tried to wipe them out, been unable to do it, because God has his hand of protection upon them. You remember Haman? Haman thought he'd wipe out the Jews in Babylon. He thought he could get it done, but he was the one who ended up hung on that gallows. Now, you find a lot of people in the Bible who had dreams. As a matter of fact, think in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. You got Joseph in the book of Genesis. Matter of fact, his brothers didn't like him. And when they were casting a dispersion upon him, when they saw him, they said, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Even though they ended up selling him as, uh, as, a, as a slave, and then later, of course, he ended up in the prison, he always knew that God had something bigger for him, and he ended up becoming the number two man in all of Egypt. But then you get to the beginning of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, and also Matthew chapter 2, you find that Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, you find that this man had some dreams. He had some dreams when he was going to put Mary away because he thought perhaps she had done something wrong and an angel of God spoke to him and he was told by the angel to fear not to take Mary unto him as his wife. And of course he did that. Later when the angel spoke again and told him that they were to go down to Egypt, again he obeyed. And later when the angel spoke to him again and told him to go back up into the Holy Land, he left Egypt and obeyed God again. Dreams, But there are some dreams that will never be fulfilled, and people have these type of dreams all the time. Uh, let me just give you some ideas of some from the Scripture. There are multitudes of people who believe they'll go to heaven by their works, and none of them will, because no man goes to heaven by their works. I mean, the Scripture says, "...for by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves." It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Matter of fact, you could go over, you don't need to turn there right now, but Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, Jesus said, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out demons, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And he said, Then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You see, you don't get to heaven by your works. You take all the works that you could possibly do your whole life, all your good works, put them all together, and they won't get you one foot closer to heaven. Because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. Because all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64 and verse 6. You see, man is a sinner before God. And the Bible says there is no difference for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. You do not get to decide what counts for God in order to get to heaven. He's already decided. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Keep your hand here and turn over to the book of Romans just a moment. Romans chapter 4. He goes on through the book of Romans to continuously explain that salvation has always been, it's never changed, always been by grace through faith. 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bible says of Noah in Genesis chapter 6, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. No matter what time in human history or in human history to come, you still people get saved by grace through faith. In Romans chapter 4, the apostle Paul is making this clear. When he says, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father is pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath were of the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Over in Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. That they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. There are people who think they're going to heaven because they've been baptized, but baptism doesn't take anybody to heaven. There are people who think they're going to heaven because they've got a 20-year Sunday school pin. They've gone for 20 years without missing one Sunday, and yet you can have a chest full of, of Sunday school pins and still die and go to hell because that doesn't take anybody to heaven. Some are counting on the works of their grandparents to get them to heaven, but your grandparents' works couldn't even get them to heaven. How in the world are they going to get you to heaven? not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Some people have this dream that somehow they will have done enough in order to get to heaven. But you can't do. What needed to be done has already been done by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He's it. He paid the full price. He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose three days later from the dead. And if you want to go to heaven when you die, you must receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Yeah, there are some dreams that will never be fulfilled. There's not going to be anybody in heaven who got to heaven because they were good. Everybody in heaven will get there because they realized they were a sinner and they threw themselves on the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted him only to get them to heaven. Not only that, there are some people who believe that they can have revival without repentance. And when I say repentance, I'm talking about a genuine uh, change. I'm not talking about salvation now. I'm talking about there are people who think they can work up revival by singing faster songs or more moving songs and jumping up and down. If we shout loud enough, maybe, maybe we can have revival. You know what we need. Matter of fact, there was a story not too long ago about some college up there in the Midwest. I believe it was in the Midwest that they were having, they were having revival. And what they had was a bunch of college kids that were getting together and singing basically rock songs with so-called Christian words in it, and they were meeting for several hours at a time. That's not revival. 
I've got news for you. Revival changes things. And the first thing that it changes are the very people themselves who are, are, are involved in the revival. The Bible says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now that verse is a famous verse. I've heard a lot of people quote it, and it's amazing how many times I've heard that verse quoted with one phrase of it being left off. I mean, they say, hey, if God's people just get together and pray, humble themselves before God, he'll give revival. That's not what it says. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You know, in that verse, he's not calling on the playboy crowd to turn from their wicked ways. He's not talking to the drunk crowd, you know, the Bud Light, the Coors crowd. I, by the way, I, I don't care how wicked Bud Light may be, any of that alcohol crowd is a wicked crowd. But he's not calling on that crowd for revival. Revival doesn't depend on them. It doesn't depend on the Republicans and Democrats up in Washington, D.C. as to whether or not a revival takes place in this land. Matter of fact, you won't find revival in either camp. It does. The chance for revival does reside with the people of God. But they not only have to seek God, but seek God with the idea of turning from their wicked ways. Now you've heard me say many times, the conundrum that we have is this. How can we expect people to turn from their wicked ways if they don't even see their ways as wicked? It's not until they see their ways as wicked that they're going to turn from anything. I do believe there are a lot of people who think that the Christian culture of their day, that they need to get more Christians to walk according to the Christian culture. That won't do it. It's going to be people turning from their wicked ways. We explain away too much sin by saying that's the culture. Culture doesn't take you to heaven. By the way, there are a lot of things in the United States culture that are right that are wrong. In this country, we still murder over a million babies a year by way of abortion. And the Supreme Court may have said it was all right once, but it's still murder. It's still wicked. It's still wrong. And we're to see it as wrong. The Bible says, ye that love the Lord hate evil. If we're going to love God like we should, there are a lot of things we're not going to put up with. We're going to hate Because we love the Lord, the Lord who is righteous, the Lord who is holy, the righteous Lord who loves righteousness, the scripture says. Oh, but Jesus, oh, Jesus is different. Well, turn over to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Seems like I keep coming across this verse lately. Or for one reason or another, it's a couple verses actually. In Hebrews chapter 1, we've got God the Father speaking to the Son, Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, the scripture says, But unto the Son he saith. Now the he here is God the Father. 
unto the Son, God the Father is speaking. He says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now look at this. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast, now again, still the Father speaking to the Son. He's saying to Jesus, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, now did you see that? And hated iniquity. There are some things that Jesus hates. He hates iniquity. God the Father is saying that the Son hates iniquity. Oh, we need to understand that. He says, uh, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. God the Father is commending God the Son because he loved righteousness and hates iniquity. You remember it's Jesus in the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Blessed is he, uh, are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Righteousness. The righteous Lord loveth righteousness. And we are not going to see revival without repentance on the part of God's people. A repentance that calls for a change. Over and over in the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, he tells the churches, he tells five of them to repent or else. He warns the church at Ephesus who were not into all kinds of wicked sin, but they, and they were serving God. They were standing for truth, but the problem was that they had left their first love. They were all doing it by form. They were all doing it because it was, that's just how they practiced, but the love for him was not there. And he said, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, repent and do thy first work or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick from thee. For the other churches, he tells them to repent or else. In one place, he said he would come unto them and fight against them. God hates sin. We look at everyone else to change. But the problem is God's people. Too many churches today stand for nothing but getting together and having a good time feeling good about yourself and what you are. You remember Robert Schuller, the guy with the glass cathedral. He wrote a book, The New Reformation. He's found out since he died how wicked and ungodly that book was. Because what he said was man's problem is not that he's a sinner, even though God says for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. And God says the wages of sin is death. He says man's problem is he doesn't have high enough self-esteem. He doesn't think high enough of himself. And yet the scripture says there's never been a man yet that didn't love his own flesh. Man's problem has never been his self-esteem. Man's problem has always been sin all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The problems we have in this world today, don't blame God for that. It's still because of man's sin. And if anybody ought to understand that, it ought to be the people of God who have a Bible, say they believe it, and read it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face 
and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Yeah, people have a dream of getting to heaven by their works. That'll never come true. Nobody's getting to heaven by their works. There are some Christians that believe that they can have revival without repentance and change. That's never going to happen. And then for some, separation without persecution. I want you to look at this verse. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is one of those verses in 2 Timothy chapter 3. That may be the reason why numbers of Christians don't want to repent. Because I tell you what, you get your, you get your life in line with the word of God and you're going to find even a bunch of Christians turning on you. If you'll notice in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You make a decision, you're going to be godly. You're going to be godly in your walk. You're going to be godly in your talk. You're going to be godly in your dress. You're going to be godly in your home. You're going to be godly with your family. You're going to have a right walk. You're not going to allow the foul curse words and innuendos of this society continue to come out of your mouth. You put those things away. Uh, You start walking right. You start dressing right. You start acting right. And guess what? There are going to be some Christians getting mad at you. That's just the way it is. Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I don't remember who the fellow was that wrote the book, but uh, he, he wrote a book basically saying this. Uh, the title of it had something to say like this. It's how to be friends with the world and walk with God. Well, it doesn't work like that. Because the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says in James 4, 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. Think about it. Jesus was perfect in every way. Did everybody love him? No, as a matter of fact, they wanted to kill him. And eventually they got him on the cross too. And even when his body was put in the grave, they did everything they could to keep him there. Because they knew he had said that he was going to raise from the dead. Yeah, and Jesus said it to his disciples in John chapter 15, If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours. He even tells them in John chapter 16, the time cometh when whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. Even the apostle Paul, when he was just Saul of Tarsus, that's what he tried to do. He thought he was serving God and putting Christians in jail and having them murdered. You see, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, let me give you another dream that people have. People, <laughs> people think that they can live godly and they're not going to be in persecution. Well, there will be. That's just all there is to it. Let me give you a fourth thing. And that's discipleship without discipline. Discipleship. Uh, the very word disciple basically has the meaning of being a follower. 
Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? I didn't ask the question, are you saved? I asked the question, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, the disciples of Jesus Christ were, were people who were set apart that their life was given to follow him, to follow his teachings, to follow his word. And he tells us a lot about disciples. Go over to the book of Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. The reality is most born-again believers are not disciples. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. They're going to heaven. They trusted Christ as their Savior, but they are not disciples, according to Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 20, uh, 20, uh, 25, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now that sounds rather extreme, doesn't it? Now, how do you measure, how do you put that together with the fact that a man is told to love his wife, even as Christ also loved the church in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25? I mean, do we have a contradiction here? Well, obviously, we don't have a contradiction. Here is the point that Jesus is saying. Uh, You know, you are to love your family, but Jesus comes first before all of them. If you've got anybody in the family you put before Jesus... You can't be a disciple. Doesn't make a difference if it's your husband or your wife or your children or mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or grandchildren. Jesus is to come first of all in your life. Unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians today who they're going to heaven. There's no doubt they're going to heaven. They've been born again. They've taken Jesus Christ as their savior. But when it comes to family, family comes first. Well, family comes first. You may be a wonderful person, but you're not a disciple. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I know in our church that probably the closest relationship for most all of us is our family. We love our family. But when it comes to making decisions in life, do they keep you? Do you allow them to keep you? from making the decisions that Christ would have you to make. I've given this example before about the comparison between the two. The reality is our love for Jesus ought to be so great that when you compare that to our love for our family, our love for our family looks like hate because Jesus comes first of all. Just a few years ago, I was preaching up in Jackson, Michigan. My wife was with me. That's back when Brother Terry Boyd was pastoring the Sycamore Baptist Church uh, up there in Jackson. And uh, we were coming home. We left after the service that night, and I was hoping to get just south of Indianapolis before I stopped to sleep. And, uh, man, I'm driving along. We get south side of Indianapolis. We stop at a couple different places. The motels are all full. I thought, man, this was a bad move. Because I was really tired, and so I'm driving down the road. We get down around uh, Seymour, Indiana, 
And uh, I, I'm driving along, of course, trying to, you know, keep myself awake and hoping that if we get a little bit farther, maybe closer to Louisville, we'll run into some motels that at least have got some vacancies. And so I, I'm driving along and I'm going about, um, you know, I'm moving down the road. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know how fast. I mean, really, I was tired anyway. So, I, and I'm driving, my wife is asleep over on the other side, and suddenly I hear, what in the world was that? Then another one, Who's the, who are those people? It were motorcycles. Now, I don't know exactly how fast I was going, neither do I know exactly how fast they were going, but it looked like I was standing still. And the truth is, my love for Jesus ought to be that great so that my love for everyone else doesn't even appear like love. Now, with that in mind, he doesn't stop with that, though. Notice what Jesus goes on to say. For he says in the next verse, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The reality is, if you're going to serve Jesus, you're going to have a cross to bear. Now, and it's not his cross, it's your cross. I've noticed, whether it be missionaries or pastors or whatever, for everybody, it's a different cross. Some of you remember when we had Brother John Bishop here. Brother John Bishop, now, what was it, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, that he got meningitis. He was pastoring a good church over in, over in Arkansas, had the triple S campground over there and everything, good fundamentalist, all of that. But when he got this thing, it put him in the hospital. They didn't think he was coming out alive. He lost almost every part of his mind before he got back. His wife had to begin setting about teaching him the very basics. I'm teaching him how to write. Matter of fact, he even said that she, she had to teach him how to kiss again. He said, I like those lessons. But, but, and for those of you that were here, you remember the first time that he came, uh, his, his English was horrific. But Brother John Bishop, in his God is so good ministries, reached far more people through that than all the other things that he did in his ministry. That was his cross. That wasn't my cross. He's the one that had to bear it. Starburst headaches. Sight failing. I mean, sometimes the starburst headaches would be so great. He he prayed that God would let him die. And then he went blind. Now, those of you that know John Bishop know that he liked to ride a motor scooter. And he rode it all over Triple S campground. I mean, he rode it into the back of trucks. He rode it in. They didn't let him off the campground. He rode it into telephone poles, everything else. He may still do it. I don't know. But the last time that he was here, he had gone blind, and that actually helped his preaching because he wasn't disturbed by anything that he saw out here because he didn't see anything. We even had a young lady back then who got sick while he was preaching in the middle of his message, I hope she wasn't sick of his preaching, but, but he went, she went walking toward the back and suddenly she did that projectile stuff. 
And we had about five or six men that immediately jumped up and they got busy helping her out, cleaning up the puke, all of that stuff. He never missed a beat. He just kept on preaching. It was an added blessing for him. Not for the rest of us, but for him, it was an added blessing. But still today, he has stuff like that where he can't hardly, there are times he can't go up and down steps at all because he can't see. That's his cross. I can name some other people I know that have had a cross to bear and you just simply, whatever he gives you. He said, if you're not willing to bear your cross, whatever it is, to serve God. With Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh. With Paul, he suffered over and over again. Why was that messenger of Satan sent to buffet Paul? Look at all that he had served God. So he wouldn't be proud about all the revelations that had been given to him. That was the cross he had to bear. And when he asked God to take that thorn in the flesh away, God said no. Whatever it may be in your life, you've got to be willing to bear your cross. Then you get down to verse 33 and he says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's pretty tough. There is no discipleship, though, without discipline. There is no discipleship without doing without, whatever it may be. And God decides that, but you've got to be willing to bear the burden, to carry the cost. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. We need to get focused on serving Christ regardless of the cost. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm sorry, people can't make it to church when they're supposed to be at church. You may be going to heaven, praise the Lord for you, but you're not a disciple. Not saying you're not saved, I'm saying you're saved, but yeah, sometimes it's not convenient, but that's all right. That's all right for those who want to be disciples. How about this one? I, I walk with God. This is another dream people have. They want to have that. They want to be known for a holy walk. You don't have that, though, without holiness. A walk with God without holiness is not a walk with God. Turn over to Hebrews again. Hebrews chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. I'll not spend much time on this because I basically touched it a little bit. But notice beginning, beginning in verse 5, 1 John chapter 1. He says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is what? And in him is no darkness at all. Now, you would think that no darkness would be enough for us. But God knows us. And so he says, no darkness at all. So notice what he says next. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we what? Lie and do not the truth. There are far too many believers who are walking in the gray areas of life. 
But the very gray areas of life are those areas that contain darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. What are we doing in the gray areas of life? Our walks to be a holy walk for our God. And he tells us that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Let me give you one other, one other dream that just cannot come true. Salvation without a born-again experience. You cannot have salvation without a born-again experience. I, you know, yes, some people do. You know, if you die tonight, you go to heaven. Well, I, I've just always been a Christian. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Bless your heart. Long as I can remember. No, that's not how it works. You must have a born-again experience. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that's really plain, but it doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 5 of John chapter 3, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. On the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to go to heaven, you must be born again. 1 Peter 1.23, Peter writes, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, that's really plain. You can only come unto the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who died for your sins, was buried, and rose three days later from the dead. There's no other way there. That's it. You say, well, I, listen, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Presbyterian, or, or I'm a Methodist, or I just name the denomination you want to name. Denominations don't take people to heaven. Baptists don't take people to heaven. Jesus Christ is the only one who takes people to heaven. He's it. You've got to receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Yeah, he tells the enemies of Israel, he says, you folks that are wanting to do my people in, he says, you're dreaming a dream that will never be fulfilled. God's still got those people around, and he's going to fulfill his promises that he's made to them. But there are a lot of other people who have dreams that will never be fulfilled. Those who believe they'll go to heaven because of their works. No one's going to see that one fulfilled. Multitudes dream that they can have revival without their own repentance. And that can't happen either. Multitudes dream that they can have separation without persecution. No, that's not going to happen either. He said, well, preacher, we don't have any persecution today. That says something about the way we're walking, doesn't it? Because there will be persecution to all who live godly in Christ Jesus. Multitudes dream that they can have discipleship without discipline. Not going to happen. Multitudes dream that they can have a walk with God without holiness. No, nope, never going to happen. Dream all you want to dream. It's not going to come through. And multitudes dream that they can go to heaven without being born again. Six dreams, six dreams that'll never come true. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
I plead today, Father, for everyone that's here today. You know every heart. You know who in this auditorium or those listening over the internet right now, you know who has taken Christ alone as their Savior and by faith trusted Him, and you know who haven't. God, I pray today you'd convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. I pray, dear God, the Spirit of God would do a work. For any here that have never been saved, may they come to Jesus today. You said you'd save them if they they would come to you. So, Father, may they come to Jesus today. I pray for believers today. May we get serious about this matter of being sold out to our God, sold out to our Christ, and living for our God, exalting your name. Have your way in every heart, I plead in Jesus' name.